What's up, everybody? Happy New Year. I mean, I'm a week late with you guys, but I wasn't here last week, so don't look at me that way. I know it's second weekend, but I'm so glad. Look, uh, extra special bonus points for all of you. It's raining outside. You could have tucked in early in those uh, covers. You could have warmed up and did all the stuff, but you're at church. Come on, I think you ought to give yourself a hand. Some of you had not had a hand all week. There you go. Well, hey, I'm so glad you're here, especially if you're our guest. Thank you for hanging out with us at Cultivate today. My name's Brandon. I'm one of the pastors around here. Welcome to all of you watching online as well. I'm excited today. We begin a brand new series called Slay. Uh, we're also in uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting beginning today. And I uh, saw some of you come in this morning, and I recognize that many of you are fasting coffee. And so I just stepped to the side because I could already tell. Some of you having those withdrawals really early. Uh, my six-year-old has been so excited about 21 days of prayer and fasting. Why? I don't know. But it's been like Christmas to him. He said, hey, Dad, is it 21 days of prayer and fasting yet? He's been counting down the days. And so he decided that he was going to give up a television all day until bedtime. He said, Dad, I'll watch a little show at night. And then uh, he's given up all uh, sugar and sweets and stuff. And so I said, okay, buddy, if that's what you want to do, that's cool. So today he gets up and he gets out of bed, and I see him in the living room sitting there just staring at a blank TV. And uh, so he's just, you know, for like 10, 15 minutes, he's, he's you know, just kind of just sitting there watching this blank TV. And I finally hear, hey, Dad, it'll be okay if I watch just a little show? <laughs> so I said, well, hey, bud, it's up to you. I said, you know, it's, you, you said this is 21 days of prayer and fasting. This is what you said. So it's, it's, you know, it's up to you. He said, okay, Dad, I'll wait till it's pitch black tonight. That's how I'll know when I can watch a little TV. Because he said right before bed. So for him... When it gets pitch black outside, that's when he's going to watch some TV. So look, if a six-year-old can do it, everybody, come on, we can do something. So I don't care what you do. There's no fasting police around here. But I want to encourage all of us, do something. Disconnect from the world so that we can spend a little more intimate time with God. I said, hey, buddy, every time you wish you were watching a little TV, I said, just say, hey, Jesus, I love you. Hey, Jesus, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful. I said, just spend a little time with Jesus, and we can all do that. Because I'm believing, hey, look. We say it every year that if this year is our best year spiritually, it'll be the best year in every other way. We will never have experienced a year like this if it's our best year spiritually. So that's why we're beginning this series today called Slay. Some of you don't know what that means. Look at somebody with a little less gray hair than you and say, hey, what's that mean? Okay? Slay means to do it big. It means to overcome. It means to win. It means to succeed. It means we got it. We did it. We conquered it. We completed it. Slay means that you got it going on. And so this year, for 2023, we want to slay this year. We want it to be a year where you got it going on, where your family is ready, where your finances are ready, where your health is ready, where your spiritual life is ready, that this is your year. Now, I recognize that this time every year, it's real easy to dismiss this feeling, right? Because many times at the beginning of the year, we're always, new year, new me, right? And it's kind of this funny thing that we kind of say about the things that we do. Because some of us have already started diet routines, and You've already failed. You say, oh, well, we'll try again next year, right? Or a weekend, and you're already, we'll try again next year. But here's the reality. I believe that God has given us this internal desire to be the best that we can be. That's why, even though the calendar change doesn't really change where we are in life, it's this mental thing that we have put in place to mark a new beginning in January, but there is something inside of you. We've been doing spring cleaning at my house. It's never looked so good. It's never been so in order. And then, I mean, why? Just because it's January, we're going to get things right. We're going to get it in order. And there's something that just stirs in us. Here's what I believe. 
I believe that God is giving us this opportunity, this season, to prepare us for life on purpose like we've never experienced it. And so this month, we're going to talk through how to slay our, our physically, how to slay relationally, how to slay spiritually. And all of this, as you've already given up, many of us said, hey, I've, I've tried it, I did it, I can't do it. Well, here's the good news. Ephesians 3 and 20, the top of your outline, here's where we're going to sit this month, and here's what we're praying. Now to him who is able, underline that word, or that statement, him... Who is able, because this is important, to do immeasurably more. I underline that word because I like that. To be able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power. I think that's, I think that's a good one too, his power, underline it. That is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here's the reality for us today, and here's what I want us to lean into this month. That we can try it. We can read all the self-help books. We can watch all the YouTube and the TikTok and the Instagram and all the stuff that tells us how to be better and how to be all the things that we want to be and desire to be and to get there and achieve that. But here's the deal. With his power working within us, He can do immeasurably more than you've ever even asked, thought about, or imagined for your life. What you're desiring for your marriage, well, here's the deal. With him involved, with him at the core, if he gets in the center of everything that's in your household, he can do inside of that relationship immeasurably more. If you're dealing with something that you can't overcome on your own, when he gets in the middle of it, he can do immeasurably more than you've ever asked, thought, dreamed, or imagined because it's his power doing it instead of mine. You see, when we do it under our power, we can only do what we are personally, physically equipped to do. But when God gets in the middle of it and it's under his power, he can supernaturally do what we cannot physically, mentally, or even desirably within yourself. You don't have the motivation to do it. But when God steps in, God can do everything. So as we kick off this series today, I titled your message, and here's our big idea today, is we want to learn to slay financially. Now, some of you go, man, I didn't get out of church today for a financial message. That's not what I needed to start this day. How are we starting off? And so some of you are guests today, and you go, oh, man, every church, we're going to talk about money. Well, let me go ahead and put you at ease. We don't want anything from you. If you put your wallet in, the, in your pocket, leave it there. Come on, if it's in the card, you don't have to go get it. You don't have to give anything. Look, here's why I believe this is important. Because many of us have a lot of these desires that we want to accomplish this year. we got all these dreams. we got all the things that we want to get in order. And I think sometimes we have our spiritual life over here where we think God God can do this and God can do that. And then we've got our financial life over here. But there's something about our financial life and the principles of God's Word, because that's what we're going to study is God's words today, not something I'm going to bring to you out of my own thought or opinion, but God's Word. There's power in it because here's the deal. Your financial life is what causes some of the greatest stress in your life. It's one of the leading causes of divorces that still bring people to divorce proceedings. It's one of the causes of anxiety and depression, people taking their own lives, people feeling like they're trapped in a prison cell all because of their financial life. And we have all the desires that I want to do this for God and I want to be generous and I want to see my family do this and I want to achieve here, but yet we have this massive weight holding us back in the area of our finances. And so here's what I believe. I believe that if we can align this with the principles of God's word, and we can slay financially, it's going to open us up opportunity to do everything else. Coming out of the holiday season, 
Look, most people that just come out of the holiday season, many people are still steeped in debt from what just happened over the holidays, and we're carrying that into the new year. Statistics say it will take five to seven months for most people to pay off the debt that we just carried over from the holidays. And you all know how the seasons go. By the time it looks like five to seven months pass, you get that paid off. When the pumpkins come out, they're already putting the Christmas stuff with it. It gets earlier and earlier every year. So by the time you get out of this, You find yourself right back into this over here. Of those who were steeped in debt coming out of the holidays, 63% of those people did not have any anticipation of being in debt when they got themselves into debt. Now, if you're not living that life, you go, oh, man, I made it through the holidays. At least that's not me. But there's so many of us that feel the weight and the pressure of the finances of our life. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to open up God's word and say, how can we slay financially this year to get this off of our chest and to give it back to God so that we can live a life on purpose in every other area that we'll talk about together this month. All right, are y'all ready? So let's pray and let's ask God to bless us. Father, I love you. Thank you for being here. I pray over this word that it would speak to us. God, that it would encourage us, that it would motivate us. It would convict us to be more like you, God. So help us today in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So grab your outline. If you're watching online, there's notes there for you. If you're a digital note taker, you can get it on the app. Whatever you do today, take some notes. Because number one, here's what I want to talk about. Three financial failures. Here's why I think that we struggle in this area of our life. Number one is that we waste it. We waste it. A lot of our finances, we waste it. We don't think we've got a lot, but most of us have enough to waste, right? I want to look at a story in Luke chapter 16, and it's the story that Jesus tells Uh, to his disciples, and it's the principle or it's the parable of a shrewd manager, somebody who has a lot of money and has entrusted some people to manage it for him. It's almost as Jesus is saying, hey, I'm I'm, I'm I'm the rich man, I got the resource, and all of you are the managers. That's almost like that's what Jesus is trying to say to us. And as Jesus begins to tell this story to his disciples, he says this, As Jesus tells this this story to the disciples, he says, There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was, underline this word, wasting his employer's money. Now, I don't know how you picture this, but, uh, you know, you're a little more mature than I am. But here's how I picture it. Jesus is in heaven, and he's in his big office, big glass window overlooking heaven as he's sitting at his desk, going through these reports, looking at what's happening. He's going through the P&L. He's getting the profit and loss sheet. He's going through it all. And as he looks out over heaven, some of you picture heaven, you know, fat naked babies on clouds. They're floating by. You know, whatever you kind of picture in heaven, this is what Jesus is seeing. And Jesus is looking at this report that someone that he entrusted his resources to, that Jesus has given to, has wasted everything that Jesus has put into their hands. Now, I don't know how you picture this, but I picture Jesus very disappointed as he looks out his office window at his desk, fat, naked babies floating by on clouds. Jesus looks at this report and goes, that's not what I anticipated. When I gave that to you, This was my dream for you. This was my plan for you. You see, when when you prayed for that job and I gave that to you, see, I anticipated something good to come out of it. But you've only been there three days and you already hate the place. You forgot you prayed for this. And Jesus is going, but this is what we wanted. I blessed you. I have given to you. And he says that he sees that it has been wasted. 
See, the perspective is that when I believe that the resource that I have belongs to me, I treat it as though it is supposed to serve me. And that's what gets me in trouble when I begin to waste what has been given to me. Many of us, we've already spent what we don't even have. We've already dreamed of what we would have if we just had a little more money. See, that's how our brain, that's how our culture functions. We think that the money that we get, the resource we have, is to serve me. Therefore, we end up wasting it. However, Jesus is saying, when you realize that if it's mine and you see what you have, that it belongs to me, you will treat it very differently. You will understand that it's not to be wasted. I'm trying to teach this principle to a six-year-old in my house. Anybody got kids? Well, see, my son, I happened to notice the other day that the bathwater had been running for a long time. And it just kind of clicked in my brain. I said, if this water has been running this long, how is it not in the hallway by now? Like, I, I knew it had been running long enough to overflow this bathtub. So I go in there, and there he is with no drain stopper in the drain. He's just sitting under the faucet, and water is just pouring down his body, going down the drain. I said, hey, buddy, what are you doing? He said, I'm taking a bath, Dad. I said, not like this, you're not. I said, buddy, you put water in the tub and fill it up. And of course, he said, why do we do that? I said, because, bud, every drop of water that is coming out of that faucet is costing me money, and you're wasting it. (laughs) And he said, oh, Dad, I didn't know that. And then here's what he does. He starts turning it off. I think he's going to be frugal, because once we explained that cutting the power on in the house, uh, once he understood that, he never even cuts the light on in his room. I'll go in this pitch dark. I'm like, hey, bud, you can cut the light. He's like, no, Dad, it's cool. We got it. I understand. It costs a lot of money. So I think we're getting there. So the other day I walk in, and I look in his tub, and he, it's like a fourth of the way full, and he's sitting in his water. I said, bud, what are you doing? Why, why don't you fill the water up? He said, oh, Dad, this is just going to be a quick bath, so I didn't want to waste the money by filling it up all the way. I said, all right, we're there. Man, we could do something here. But it's the principle of understanding. Waste. How many times do we say, oh, it's just 10 bucks. Come on, it's just 5 bucks. It's just 20 bucks. It's just 50 bucks. Come on, you high rollers, it's just 1,000 bucks. <laughs> but what if we said, this is just 5 bucks that my heavenly Father put in my hand. And he wants to see what I'm going to do with it. And how I'm going to honor him with it. And what could happen when he has control of five bucks versus what happens when I have control of five bucks. Let me ask you this question. Just just maybe ask yourself this week. If the report came across Jesus' desk as he sits in heaven, looking out his glass window, fat naked babies floating by on clouds, what would the report say about the resource that he has put into your hands? That's a good question. Number two, here's how we get in trouble with our resources. We trust it. Oh, man, this is difficult. The manager thought to himself, (laughs) underline this question, now what? My boss has fired me, (laughs) and I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Now, that is us to a T. Now, if you think you can't read the Bible and can't get anything out of it, it cannot become more clear than that right there. I think every one of us sitting in this room have had a now what moment. We said, well, that didn't work. That didn't go as far as I thought it was going to go. I got that raise. I got that increase. This happened. That happened. And now what? 
It's not going the way I thought it was going to go. Proverbs 23, 5 says, In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. <laughs> you, just, you just cracked the cage and it was gone. We just put it in there. Now it's gone. See, what Jesus wants us to understand is this thing that our world revolves around, this one thing that we'll get up every day and go to a place we don't want to be to do something we don't want to do with people we don't want to be with for a cause that we don't even really care about, it's called money. So we put all of our trust in it. And when it doesn't go the way we think we're going to go, then we say, now what? And it was all because we thought it was ours to begin with. Because we had this attitude that it was about me to serve me, please me. And so I'm able to waste it away. And then when I need it and it doesn't come through, I'm going, now what do we do? Anybody remember 2008? Recession. Lots of people lost their homes. A lot of people lost their businesses. It's so clear to me because for one of the first times in, in my life, I can remember in our culture seeing something like this so scalable in the economy. And then the people who were in charge of things and who had all the things and who were running the things and had everything that you thought resources would bring happiness to were taking their own lives because of this lack that they now have experienced because they put all of our trust in this worldly system. Like 10,000 people, they said, took their lives directly connected to the recession of 2008. Why is this important for us? Because we understand that my trust has to be in the supplier and not the supply. See, that changes things. When I recognize that when I know and have relationship with the one who has it all, whatever is here right now in this moment doesn't matter as much as it is knowing the one who brings it to begin with. So we have to shift our focus from the supply to the supplier. So that when moments happen, you go, it's, it's, not a, it's not a like, oh, what am I going to do? Now what moment? It's okay, God, what are you going to do? Because when I've allowed him to be in control, I'm not in control anymore. But you see, when I manage it, when I do it, I have to make it stretch. I have to make it work. I have to be good enough. I have to earn enough. I have to do it all. But when he does it, and it belongs to him, and I'm just managing all this, then I go, okay, God, now what are you going to do? We cannot trusted. Here's what I believe has to happen. I think this is a principle. What's the Bible say when a man and woman are married? It says the two become what? They become one. It's this principle of joining together. It's this spiritual moment that only God can design. I think our faith and our finances have to be married as a man and a wife. I think as believers, many of us, we live with our faith life over here and our financial life over here, and we think it doesn't have spiritual consequence. But what I believe that Jesus is spending time... See, Jesus... Come on, you got to think about it. Jesus only had a few years of his ministry, and he's spending time talking about this. Therefore, it's very important that his disciples understood this because they were about to go build the church. They were about to take Christianity all across the world. So Jesus needed us to know this principle that my finances and my faith must be married. They must be one. I must join it together and not separate it. Therefore, that simply means I'm just going to do it God's way. Not going to trust it within myself. I know that it belongs to him. And then number three, we get in trouble here. And this is true. We don't think we do, but we do. We love it. 
We love it. Come on, you can make somebody smile real big with a little bit of money. Ever watch them game shows? What, you ever watch The Price is Right? <laughs> Come on down. It's like, you know, they're winning Tupperware. And they're like, oh, this is... <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take much. We just get pumped about it. I mean, it just, it's just in a moment. We can lose our brain and forget your own national television acting this way over Tupperware. Why? Because we love it. We really do. But look what the Bible says. No one can serve two masters. For you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now somebody hear me clearly. This does not mean you can't have money. doesn't mean you can't work hard and earn money. If I had a windfall of a million today, I'm not going to cry about it, everybody. So don't, get, don't be confused about this, all right? Don't go, poor, oh man, poor Brandon. I heard he got a million bucks. I mean, everybody feels bad for him now because, you know, no. The Bible says it's the love of money. It's, it's this love of money that will get you in trouble. Look at Ecclesiastes 5.10. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. See, this is important because love will get you in trouble. Some of you, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Somebody just met somebody six weeks in. And they're so in love, they don't even remember their friends' phone numbers. They don't text their friends. They don't go see their friends. They don't show up to the game anymore. They don't come to church anymore. They don't, they're not, you know, all they can study is that one person, right? Because they're so madly in love. And then after that six-week-long, deep, meaningful relationship, it ends. And suddenly they're texting again, hey, man, you want to go watch the game? You want to go out to dinner? You're like, well, where did you come from? See, love will make you do dumb things. Love will make men take showers and comb your hair when you barely even do that. <laughs> It'll make you spend money on dinners in places you would not even ordinarily go. That's what love will do. Ladies, love will... You ever seen some of us guys? I mean, really, come on. Ladies, you really opened your heart up big to let us in. That's all I'm saying. Love will make you do crazy things. And the danger is, is that when our culture puts so much behind this love of stuff will do crazy things. It'll make you bend your character. It'll make you lose your integrity. It'll make some people do dangerous things, make some people do uncontrollable things, all because we love it and we desire it so much. Why did Jesus feel the need to tell us this? Because money is one of the only things that can absolutely control our lives. People that started with good intentions, with good desires, money, greed, the love of it has destroyed so many lives, organizations, churches. It happens all around us. And Jesus says, hey, if you're going to live life on purpose, you can't get caught up in these things. So what do we do? How do we slay financially? I want you to flip your outline over and keep asking good questions like that, okay? Number one, here's what you do with it. Invest it. Invest it. Now, I'm not about to tell, talk to you about IRAs and uh, retirement funds and stock market. That's not the kind of investment I'm talking about. All those things are great. I'll hook you up with Patrick after church. <laughs> Patrick says, please don't, okay? Patrick's our good friend and money whiz around here, okay? But look at Luke 16 and 9. Here's the lesson. Where are we going with this? What's the, what's the, what's the point? Here it is. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others. And to make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Man. 
So you mean to tell me that my increase and my gain, my profit, my resources weren't for me? Throughout the entire book of the Bible, God has been trying to tell us that it was never for me or about me. The resource God gave me was always about being a blessing. We're standing here 11 years old as a church. And as clear as I'm standing here today, I can remember the very first check that somebody gave to me in my hand for Cultivate Church. We had not raised a dime. We had not done anything toward the church. The very first step was being a part of uh, the church plan organization, which we had to attend a weekend, an assessment. They assessed our lives, our marriages, our finances. They assessed everything about my life to see if I was fit to plant a church. And it was going to cost me $1,000 to do it. That might as well have been a million dollars. I didn't have a thousand dollars. I didn't have access to a thousand dollars. So I said, God, if you want me to plant this church, you got to give me a thousand dollars. And after church, just like this one day, when we was on staff before we planted, a guy and a a lady walked down front, husband and wife, handed me a blank envelope and said, Hey, God told me to give this to you. I said, Thank you very much. Got in my truck to drive home, and so I'm driving, I get this envelope, I open it up. It's a check for one thousand dollars. It's a true story. Might lie to you in the parking lot, not in the church, okay? I wouldn't lie to you in the parking lot either, I'm just saying. It was $1,000. And at that point, every person that said planting a church is crazy, at that point, every person that said a two-pastor team won't work, that's crazy, I didn't care what they said. Because I knew God, who I had said, if you want me to do it, you got to show up, you got to provide. And when he did, all questions were off the table. Because I knew God had called me to do it. And you know what? That couple that gave us $1,000 to begin this work 11 years later, nobody can ever take that away from them. When God looks from his desk in heaven out of the glass window with fat naked babies floating by on clouds, looking at those reports, you know what he's going to say? Thank God that they were obedient and generous, that they invested so that all the lives changed could happen. Ethan and Lindsay Efferson, couple from our church, many of you know them, many of you here talk about them. Moved to Juarez, Mexico. They're doing care points for kids. Hundreds of kids reached every day with clothes, food, education, spiritual guidance. They're being baptized. They're getting Jesus every day because they gave their life up for it. You know what? Ethan Efferson, some of you go, man, he must be a, they must be saints to move like that, to go do that. Nope. He didn't want to go. wanted no part of it. We were doing mission trips to Mexico. He said, I don't want to go. I'm not going. You know what happened? Somebody bought him his plane tickets, $500. And he said, oh, man, I got to (laughs) go. And when he got there, God changed their life. He came home, told his about-to-be wife, hey, we're moving to Mexico. And that's what they did. And today, hundreds of kids are touched every day because somebody invested $500, and that has now changed the lives of kids for eternity. See, it's, it's about investment. That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, it's not about the new stuff or the here and now. Look at what's going to happen in eternity. You stewarded it well. Invest it. All right, number two, steward it. I've used that word all morning because this is one of the greatest principles we can ever learn financially. Listen to this. If you're faithful in the little things, hey, that's all of us. Then I perk up because I'm like, oh, I thought this was for like people who had a lot of resources. No, he's talking to me too. If you're faithful in the little things, look at this. You'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, oh, it doesn't really matter. I don't have anything. One day I'll be generous. One day I'll invest. One day I'll honor the Lord with what I've got. No. 
If you're dishonest in the little, you won't be honest with the greater. Verse 11, and if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? I want to read that one again. Say, Pastor, why are we talking about this in church? Why, why we? Because listen to that question. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the riches of heaven? Jesus is literally saying, everybody, if I can't trust you with earthly resources that are going to pass away, that you can't take to the other side of eternity with you, then how am I ever going to trust you with the real, true riches of eternity? That's a weighty question. And if you're not faithful with other people's things, hey, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Jesus is saying, hey, who can I really count on here? Who's really in this with me? Who really understands this stewardship process that everything you have is not really yours, it really is from me? And what you do with it down to the tiniest detail determines what happens in the greater portions of your life and what is given. It's like a father eating at McDonald's with his son. And they got this big thing of fries right there. He gives it to his son. You ever done this with a kid? And then you reach in to get a fry that you just bought your kid. And then they snatch it and say the words, they're mine. You ever had that? Why are kids so stingy? Because we're born in it, aren't we? We're born thinking it's ours. We're born thinking it's about us. And that father says, son, I bought you those fries. And where those came from, a whole lot of more fries can come. Even some chicken nuggets, even a milkshake, and even a toy out of the Happy Meal. Or I can take all the fries away and you can sit and watch me eat the fries or give them to somebody who will appreciate the fries. See, you don't tell the one who gave you the fries that those fries are yours or you'll never get them again. Now, how many of us has God given to? And we said, mine. No, God, you don't get any of it. That church is talking about the tithe 10%. Bunch of hypocrites and criminals. You know? <laughs> Which, by the way, our uh, annual report for every dime that comes to this church will be out by the end of the month. And you can see it, and you can ask questions, and you can know. Transparent place around here. We, look, I, I, might, I might get mad at somebody in the grocery store line or something. You know what I'm saying? They say, hey, the pastor got mad about something. Somebody didn't put their buggy up. Okay? I, you, all right, you might get me on that one. But we ain't gonna be, we'll never be a place where you're going to see us mishandling the resources of God. Why? Because I fear God too much. And because I want to steward well what God has given to us. This is his fries. And he can have all he wants. Because they belong to him. Now what if you and I were just to look at everything we have right now. And ask yourself this question. Is God getting any of your fries? Have you shared any of your fries? When my six year old wants to share. I'm like man. I'll give you, I, you I, I've got an endless supply, bud. I'm proud of you. When he comes home and says, hey, dad, somebody didn't have a snack yesterday at lunch. You think I could take them one? I'm like, bud, you load your backpack down. You give them out like a gold bar. You know what I'm saying? Like, just go to town. But if I see him being stingy, you know what happens? He gets like a stale one. <laughs> like a, it's a stale snack. God's waiting on us, church, to live life on purpose and to realize we're just to steward it. And then number three, this is important. This wraps it up. When it comes to slaying financially, we need to understand it. We need to understand finances. Here's why. Because what you believe about money 
will determine the way that you behave with your money. See, what we believe about it determines how we behave with it. Look what the Bible says. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Man, that's our culture. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of it that gets us in trouble right there. In all kinds. Money will take us down roads. We got, we're divorced. We're on drugs. We're drinking too much. We're working too much. Our kids don't know us. We've, we're trying to uh, rob so that we can get ahead. We'll do all the things. It leads to all kind of mess. And some people craving money have wondered from what? The true faith. And they've pierced themselves with many sorrows. Why is Jesus teaching us all this? Why is the Bible giving us all this? Why is this reiterated in the New Testament? It's because when we start down that road, it'll deviate us from every life on purpose that God ever intended for us to live. So so what do we understand? I'll give you two simple things to understand today. Here's two simple principles that'll carry you through. God owns it, and God loans it. That's the way it works. I have nothing. Nothing. It's God's. If I have a car, it ought to be used to do something to bring God glory. If I got a house, it ought to be used to do something to bring God glory. Everything we have should reinforce the goodness and the grace of God and reach somebody in our life. This year, let's slay financial. Let's get this monkey off our back so we can live life on purpose in every area this year. Let's pray. Will you bow your head, close your eyes? If you're our guest, nothing weird, funny is going to happen. If you're watching online, right where you're at, if you can eliminate distraction, just briefly, I want to pray for us today. Two things. Number one, maybe you're in this room watching online and you know you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Well, look, putting him first is step number one. That's what makes everything else possible. Look, I'm acknowledging for us today that exactly what we read The very first scripture, can't do it on our own, but it's his power working within us that makes it possible. And then I want to pray for all of us today that we would understand this principle, the weight of this, and desire to live it out. To put this before God and entrust him with this area of our lives. So Father, today, for anybody here that doesn't have a personal relationship with you, watching online, I pray right now. God, just forgive us of our sin. We've fallen short. We've missed it. We've messed it up. Today we acknowledge that we need you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for seeing us today. And God, I pray for all of us in this room today that we would understand and heed the words of Jesus. That we wouldn't be overcome and overwhelmed by the area of finances in our life. God, that we would hit this year and slay financially like never before. May we put you first in everything we do. May we be generous. May we steward it well and live life on purpose. God, give us the greatest year spiritually so we can live it out in every way. God, we honor you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Can we honor the Lord together? Come on, he's good. Come on.